souls before you as we come to encounter your word. You've told us in your word that your word is powerful in your very presence. It has the power and ability to transform us all the way down in the deepest parts of our soul. Where in fact, the only way for us to be changed is by you working in the power of your Holy Spirit through your word. So we ask that you would come and do that in us now because we are a people who are desperately in need of change. We're desperately in need of hope. We desperately need you to take our eyes off of the things of this world that we so easily run after for life and to place them on Jesus, that he would become our life and our joy. You do that in us this morning. In Christ we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm. So kids, i got a question for you this morning. Do you like to go to the zoo? Anybody ever been to the zoo? Who likes to go to the zoo? Okay, I see some zoo hands in here. Okay, what, here's a question. What's your favorite thing that you have seen at a zoo? Favorite animal that you've seen at a zoo? Monkeys? Okay. Anybody else? Drew? You don't have a favorite. Okay, well, what, what are some of the ones that you thought? It's hard to put you in a box there. Uh, are there some that you thought were pretty cool? Snakes? Spiders? Spiders? You really did have the list. It's awesome, man. Those are cool. Monkeys? Yeah. Cool. Anybody else? You ever seen like a lion or a tiger in a zoo? Pretty amazing. So, you know, it's an amazing thing. If you think about a zoo, if you've ever been to one, and it's really, really cool because you get like so up close and personal with these dangerous, powerful animals that you would never be able to encounter out in the wild, right? I mean, it's just, one, it would be dangerous, you would probably lose your life. Two, it's just hard to find it out. In a zoo, it's amazing because you're right there, so close to these incredibly powerful creatures. But do you ever find the zoo sad? Does it ever feel sad to you? Yeah, yeah. So you you go and it is so cool to see these animals, but have you ever noticed that these animals do not seem happy in the zoo? You know, you might think, hey, this these animals, they're here, they get they get fed, they're they have shelter, they're protected. Uh, in a lot of ways, they got it made. I mean, they don't even have to do anything for their food, and you might think, man, these animals have got it made. But the reality is, they don't. In fact, the life expectancy in cap captivity is far below how long an animal would live out in the wild. And the reason is kind of obvious to all of us, right? Why, why do they see a shell of themselves in captivity? It's obvious, right? Because they were made for the wild. They were made to hunt that were made to be free, that were made to live in habitat that they were created for. I think this is an incredible metaphor for the Christian life. You know, as we read the scriptures, as we come to a book like the book of Acts, 
and you see uh, people coming to Jesus and the church being born, and you see them going out in powerful witness throughout the world, you see them encountering danger with incredible courage. You see them moving out into all the different places in the world, carrying the gospel to all kinds of places in the world. You see them carrying the gospel to unbelievers, carrying it out in a pagan world. You see this incredible courage. You see the church moving out with great power. And I think so often, here we are in the Bible Valley, as we look at the church, we don't look all that similar to the, to the church that we see in the world. In fact, what I think we often see is a very domesticated church. See, the reality was is that as believers, we are made for the wild. We're made for our, our faith to carry us out with great courage to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to be a people who are carrying the light of Christ in all the places that he takes us. We as believers are called to live not just for what happens here inside our holy huddle, inside our life together, but we come together to experience fellowship together that we might be empowered to move out with great power and great witness. But what so often happens is that we get turned inwardly, don't we? You know, I can remember I told my story uh, many, many times to you, but, but just... I was thinking about this this week, and I remember whenever I first really came to understand the gospel and my life began to be changed by Christ. Maybe you can relate by this. I had this incredible urge to share the gospel with people in my life. You know that we often see that in new believers. There's almost this like initial passion of like, I want to tell people about this. I want to tell my family. I want to tell my friends. And it's so exciting to see, but so easily... That wanes in our life, doesn't it? I remember whenever I came to Christ, uh, I was in college. I was just kind of trying to live this party lifestyle. I was running as hard as I could away from the Lord. Uh, and there was a guy who was in my fraternity who saw me, who had a heart for me. He was a believer. He began to pursue me, build a relationship with me. Through that relationship and a couple other relationships, I came to Christ. And here I was in the midst of a, a group of men who, who very much felt like brothers of mine. And yet something had dramatically changed in my life. And I had this urge not to get away from them, but to move towards them and to share what God had done in my life. And I was scared. I was so scared. What are they going to think? What are they going to think whenever I start talking about Jesus? They're not going to... Uh, want to be around me anymore, but I, I just couldn't help it. I just so wanted them to know Christ. And so I remember standing up and, and in our fraternity, we'd have a weekly meeting called a chapter meeting. And I stood up in this chapter meeting in front of a hundred uh, hundred of these college guys who were not the same brother. And I said, hey, we're going to have a Bible study after chapter today. And it doesn't matter if you're going out tonight, if you're uh, if, if uh, you want to bring your beer, if you want to, you know, whatever you want to do, just come as you are. We're just going to read the Bible. And I thought in that moment, none of these guys are going to talk to me again. I thought, man, they're not going to want to be anywhere. Else. You know what happened? That Bible study was packed. And here we were in one of the front rooms of the fraternity house, 
a big room, and we're all packed in there. And there's these guys in there with open bottles, smoking their cigs, drinking their Bud Light, and we were talking about Jesus. Because they didn't know Jesus. And listen, it was so much fun. I felt so alive. I mean, that's who I was. And somebody came to my turf. And so as a new believer, what else am I going to do? But live in the wild. That's what it felt like. That's what my faith naturally took me into. But you know what happened as I went along? I went to seminary, which is also called cemetery. Okay? And it ruins all of that. Right? We so often ruin all of that in the church. We tamp it down. We're like, no, those are too big of risks. No, you got to just be with, with nice, put-together believers. You've got to keep your nose clean. I mean, we don't intentionally do that, but we do it. And as believers, we leave the world. And slowly but surely, our faith that once was probably a lot of compassion just goes in to die. Because what energizes our faith is that's what we see in our passage today. We were made for the wild. And here's what we're going to see. How? How do we get in the wild? How are we going to live in the wild? How, how do we live with this kind of passion in the wild? And we see that in our, in our passage today. So here we are. We're in chapter 4. We're at the end of the the book of Colossians, this summer we've been going through the book of Colossians as we said this was a letter that was written from the Apostle Paul to an early church plant in Colossae. There was, this church was probably about the same, uh, probably about the same age as Christ is. It was probably a five-year-old church. And Paul is writing this letter to them and he's calling them, rooting them on the gospel and calling them to be a particular kind of people. As we saw in our passage that we looked at the past few weeks in chapter 3, his focus has really been on their relationships with each other. Here's what I want you to be as a community of faith. Here's how you're going to live in the world. And one of the most fundamental aspects of our witness in the world as believers is the quality and depth of our relationships with each other. That's what's to form our, our powerful witness in the world. You remember Jesus said that. They will know. They will know I'm real and that I'm king and that you belong to me by your love. We're going to see the way you love each other. We're going to know it's real. So Paul's very much been talking about that. He's been, he spent quite a deal of time on how we are to treat each other with love and compassion, put him on the new self, put him off the old. But here's we get to chapter 4. Paul's going to begin to turn and he's going to begin to say, all right, now here is how you are to live among outsiders. Here's how you are to live out in the world. Because that's what you're called to. You're called to be this body together so that you're strengthened, so that you can go out in the world in all the places that God puts you, and you can live and be a light for Christ. And so in this passage, he is going to talk about what does it look like to live in the wild? What is our calling? How are we to take the gospel out into the world and all the places that he takes us? Now, as we look at the passage, we're starting at verse 2. I want you to notice where he starts. And this is so critical to see. You know, we might think as he's going to tell us how to do ministry out in the world, he's going to immediately start talking about how to do it. How do you go out and do it? What do you just say? What, maybe give us some strategies or techniques. He doesn't do any of that, does he? 
Where does he start in verse 2? Look at this. No accident. Look at what he says. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. That's the starting place of mission. That's the starting place of evangelism, which is a word that means sharing your faith. Because we think about sharing the gospel and taking the gospel in all the places that you are. Do you know where it starts? Paul says it starts with prayer. That, that not only occasional, but devote yourselves to prayer. The, the, the Greek word there is very much like the English here. It means a continual giving yourself to it, making your focus. Because here's what the Apostle Paul realizes. The one who actually changes hearts is God himself. It's not our techniques. It's not what we do. It's not the effectiveness of, of our words or what we say or what we do. All of the power and the transformation of a life is God's. He is the only way that someone can come to Christ. It's if God brings them to himself. It's if he opens their eyes. And Paul is so convinced of this that he asks them to pray for him. You see what he says in the very next verse? Look what he says. And pray for us too. He's talking about himself and the other apostles. Those who are going out and announcing the gospel. Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I claim it clearly as I should. This is This is the apostle Paul. I mean, he, he has forgotten more about the Bible than, than you and I will ever know. He knows it all. I mean, can you just imagine how powerful the Apostle Paul was in preaching? How effectively he could communicate the scriptures and the truth of the gospel. He wrote this. And yet Paul's understanding of ministry is, unless you pray for me, all that I'm doing is for God. Unless God opens the door for my message, you see, his understanding is that in order for someone to respond to the gospel, God has got to show up first. God's got to open their mind and open their heart. That's what the open door means. It means an opportunity or it means something happens in somebody's heart. God opens their eyes when they begin to see, oh my gosh, I'm a sinner. And they begin to see, what? I'm, I'm searching. I need to know who God is. I mean, God's got to awaken them. And if God doesn't show up and awaken a person and open their eyes, well, it's just like falling to the wall. It won't do me any good. And not only that, Paul says, I need to help that I may proclaim it clearly. And what is he proclaiming? He says, the mystery of Christ. We've seen that over and over in the book of Colossians. He loves that phrase to describe the gospel. It's the mystery of Christ. Listen. The gospel is not something that makes logical human sense. In fact, it's the opposite of that. That's why he calls it a mystery. You know what a mystery is? A mystery is something you can't understand. You look at it and you say, I, I, can't, I can't explain that. I don't, I don't get it. That's what a mystery is. And Paul says, it's what the gospel is. It's a mystery. And it's so much a mystery that someone cannot understand it. Unless God opens their eyes to the truth of it. It's a mystery that Jesus is sitting on his throne and reigning over all things. 
It is a mystery that one day he will make the kingdoms of this earth his very own kingdom. It is a mystery that all things belong to him. It is a mystery that the way that he is redeeming all things is through dying on a cross. It is a mystery that God became a man in order to die that men and women might be rescued from sin. That, let's just go ahead and admit, that's a mystery. It makes no sense that God wins through dying. That's a mystery. And our natural minds are going to hear that and say, that's ridiculous. What's on TV? Where are we going to lunch? You see, what Paul says is God's got to come in and he's got to on your heart when you begin to see this is life. And it can't happen apart from the work of God. So Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer as you go out into mission, as you go out into all the places that he carries you. The most important thing that you do is not the words that you speak, at least to other people. It's the prayers that we offer to God. And he says, when you pray, be watchful and thankful. That's the way that we're to pray. You see, when you pray, you ought to have this sense of, okay, what's going to happen? You ever pray, and really, you don't really think any of it's going to happen. So you pray, you totally forget about what you pray, and you just go on about your day. Because prayer is just like the duty I'm supposed to do. But what happens whenever your prayer is watchful? When you pray something, and you have this just assumption, God's about to do something here. So I'm going into the world and I'm watching. Okay, what's going to happen? What if we were like that with prayer? What if when you prayed, you had a sense something's about to happen? Now, I don't always know what's going to happen. I very easily miss what God is doing in the world. But nonetheless, that we have an attitude of watchfulness and thankfulness. We're thankful in prayer whenever we're like, I know you hear me. And I know you're moving. And I know you're going to answer in the way that you know is best. So Paul says, that's the way you pray. So as we think about this, man, I, I don't know about you, but I'm so convicted by this. Because my tendency is to go do it and neglect the prayer. You like that? You're too busy to pray? I'm too busy to pray. Which, what does that tell us? I really think it's all up to me. That's really what's underneath our business, too. If something's going to happen, I'm the one who's going to make it happen. If somebody needs minister to, I got to be the one to minister to. If somebody's life is going to get, get changed, well, duh, it's me. I, I know how to change somebody's life. You ever think that? Maybe you don't think that intentionally, but we do our premises. We don't pray because we don't think we need it. Just the Apostle Paul saying, unless God is all useless. start watching things. You start noticing things you wouldn't notice before. Your prayer turns out, not only does it move God by his own choice, it also changes the way that we see everything. So Paul says in ministry, prayer, that's the power, that's the work. But he shares something else. And I think it's very interesting because it gives us a sense of the what exactly are we called to do here, Paul? Did you notice 
just in this little section, Paul talks differently about his calling and mission than he does those in the church in their calling and mission. Did you notice that? How does he describe his part in this mission of taking the gospel out? He says, pray for me, pray for us, that God may open a door for a message so that we may proclaim the mystery. That's how he describes his ministry. He is proclaiming the gospel. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, verse 4, as I should. The way that Paul describes his ministry is a ministry of proclamation of the gospel. As we see the book of Acts, that's what he was doing. He would go into a city, he would go to the synagogue, he would engage in conversation, and he would proclaim and announce the gospel. Jesus is reigning over all things. Or he would go into the marketplace, or he would go into the, the, the different gathering places of the city, and he would begin to engage them, and he would proclaim the gospel. But how does he describe the majority of us in our work of ministry here? It's not an accident. What does he say here? Verse 6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. See how those are different? Paul proclaims, we are to answer. Now I think this is very free when you think about this. And it's not just here. It's not just an accident. He didn't just use different words with no meaning. It actually agrees with other places in the Scripture where it talks about our mission in the world. Think about 1 Peter 3, where Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer that is the hope that is within you. Now what does give an answer assume? That people are going to ask. And this might be really funny for us. Because I think many times when we talk about evangelism, does anybody kind of just kind of feel a little nervous. Kind of feel like, oh, I'm such a failure in this area. Or even just feel like, oh gosh, don't let me go do that. You know, I think what we often think, when we think about evangelism, is we think of, of a, a, a cold call, walking up to the door, knocking on the door, you know, hitting with a gospel track, or, or going and, and uh, just blurting out the gospel, or thinking a way to work the gospel into a conversation. Listen, there's nothing wrong with those things. If you do that, keep doing it. Help, help me do it. But it's not necessarily the way that Scripture calls us to share the gospel. You know, just the other day I was at a doctor's office. And there was this lady in the doctor's office, packed off the doctor's office. And, uh, and I just overhear her. She starts working over everybody in the room. I mean, she's working, you know, She's going to each person in the room, and it's one of those awkward things, you know, where you, you talk about the weather, and somehow you work it into a gospel presentation. You know, it felt very forced, and I just sense people in the room were like, oh, please don't talk to me. You know, and people are like moving seats and everything. Of course, I'm doing the same thing. I'm reading, and I'm like, don't look up. Don't make eye contact. I don't want her to hit me. Please don't evangelize me, whatever you do. Now here's the question. What makes them ask? 
When was the last time somebody asked you, hey, can you tell me what, what's different about you? What, I, I, you? The way you reacted to that or the way that you, you treat your spouse or, or the way that you go about your work or there's something different about you. Can you, can you explain this to me? Have you ever had that happen? Maybe for many of us it's not happened that often. So the question here is, what makes an unbeliever ask? Here's the answer to Paul talks about here. It's our love. It's the way we treat people. And primarily what he focuses on here is conversation. Now that, that's probably not what we expect when we think about an evangelist and strategy. You know what Paul says here whenever he talks about our place in evangelism? He says, have intentional conversations. That's what I want you to do. Look again what he says. Verse 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. People ask whenever our conversations, intentional conversations, are marked by love and listening. Well, it is just amazing what happens when you love a person by listening to them. Did you know that's one of the most fundamental ways to love another person? Is to just listen. I think what we often do in conversation, we listen. We're, I'm, I'm especially bad at listening. When, when I'm in a conversation, you know what I'm thinking? Okay, what am I going to say back? What am I going to, what, what's going to be my response here? And so often, you know, we're, we're looking to get a word in. We're looking to say something. We're looking to turn the conversation in a particular way. We're looking to talk about us. But listen, when your conversation is marked by grace, care about you. I'm interested in you. I want to know about you. One of the most fundamental ways to do this is just ask people questions and then step back and watch. It's amazing whenever you ask people questions and you actually care about the answers. If you don't care, they're going to sniff it out a mile away. Conversation over. But when you're intentional, you ask questions and you care, you're going to be interested in this person, I'm telling you, it will blow your mind what will begin to happen. It is stunning. We saw this yesterday. We did the tattoo booth. What happens? You say, hey, I'm just curious. Does your tattoo have a story? And then you sit back and listen and tell people about friends and family that they've lost, about the darkest periods of their life. I mean, I heard Lizzie had, a, had an interview yesterday and, and someone was talking about all these tattoos that were all about these horrific things he'd been through in his life. And she asked this question. She said, was that healing? Now, I imagine she didn't have a sheet that said, okay, at this point, you're going to want to ask, was that healing? And she didn't have a game plan here. There was no trick. But in the moment, she was loving the man, and she said, was that healing? And the dude begins to get emotional. All of a sudden, his soul's open. Right? When you get there, guess what's going to happen? They're going to ask. Every time. Sometimes you've got to wait for it. But they're going to ask. So Paul says, this is, what, this is what evangelism looks like. This is what ministry looks like. I want you to be in the world, and I want you to engage in intentional, loving, gracious, 
conversation. It says seasoned with salt. What does salt do? It flavors something. It was so easy to just be in a place and just be engaged in small talk, right? That's the easiest thing to do. When we talk about the weather, when we talk about other people, that's always fun and interesting to do. But he says seasoned with salt. That is like, let it have some substance to it. Actually care about the person. Let, let the conversation be about more than just kind of surface things. So Paul is calling us as we go out into all the places that we're put to kind of a, a missionary mindset here. That you walk in with an expectation everywhere you go that, that this is a moment that God's going to be at work. Look what he says here in verse 5. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. See what Paul's calling us to do. Wherever you go, every opportunity, which means like every opportunity that you have. You're at work. You're going to school. You're sitting in class. You're, uh, you're on the ball field. Maybe you're sitting next to another parent that you sit next to for every practice in the hot sun day after that. That's an opportunity. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's an opportunity to go over and knock on your neighbor's door and initiate a conversation. Right? Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. And I want you to, to be wise. I want you to go into all of those interactions with a sense of expectation, with a sense that like, God is here. God is present. He's at work. And you're probably going to start praying for those if you're intentional about them, you're making the most of them, and just watch what begins to happen. I really need a lot of help in this area. So I've got help. I'm doing a residency with a guy who's teaching me how to do this. Like he takes pastors who, he says this, he says, the mental health of a pastor is directly connected to the number of unbelievers he is in relationship with. And I would expand that to say the mental health of any Christian is directly related to the number of unbelievers they're in relationship with. You see, it's being in the wild that gives us energy, that gives us a sense that like, this faith is alive. It's real. God intends to work in the world. And so this guy is coaching me. He is helping me to get out, to get out of the Christian bubble, to get out of the holy huddle, to get out and have conversations in the wild. And listen, it's so much fun. It's so much fun. The things I'm getting to talk about, and I'm not doing anything. But trying to be intentional and to engage in real, loving conversation. And you just sit back and watch what God does. But listen, it is so energizing. It's waking my faith up. And it will yours too. Faith is energized by being in the wild, by being out in ministry and in mission. So let's close here, and, and I'm just going to bring a little application and we'll talk about it for a minute. Here's an application. This is on your, on your notes here. I just want you to do, do two things here. Maybe you got a pen. If you don't have a pen, just do this in your head. But I want you to think for a minute. I want you to think for a minute about your circles of influence, the, place, the places that God has put you, the places that you frequent 
Monday through Saturday, your work, the ball fields, class, roommates, home, don't forget home. I want you to think about all of these places. And I want you to think about five people that you could begin intentionally praying for. Five people in your life that you could be intentionally praying for. You begin writing some of those down. Now, here's the, the second thing for this week. Engage them in conversation this week. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's an irritating coworker, which many of them are, right? You're not one, but others are. Mm. <laughs> maybe it's a, a coworker. Maybe it's that parent. You're sitting next to during a practice. Maybe it's somebody, kids who sits next to you in class. Just think about this week. Okay, I'm going to have a conversation with them. And I'm going to have a conversation about them. And I'm going to care about their answers. I'm going to ask them about themselves. I'm going to have a graceful, loving conversation that's got a little salt to it. A little bit below the surface. And just watch what happens. And I would love to hear the stories. Because I found when I do that, I have stories. I was running out of stories. My friend, who's my coach, tells me when a pastor leaves the wild, he's got no stories, so he's got to use illustrations. But stories are so much more powerful. I'm starting to get some stories in there just because I'm doing what Paul's called us to do. You'll have stories too. You've already had stories. And it's fun. <coughs> Let's take a few moments and talk about that for a few minutes. How does that challenge you or energize you, terrify you? What's happening to you as you think about this calling to be in the wild? Lady in there 
working the 12 other jurors the way you were explaining. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everybody's like, please don't do that to me. And I'm sorry, if you're a passionate evangelist, we need your help. So don't be, don't be squelched by that. I don't need to put down the knocking on doors, the boldly sharing the gospel, the street preaching, if you want. Right? Let's proclaim the gospel, okay? I'm just trying to say that for most of us, where evangelism is going to take place is in love and relationship when God opens the door. Yes, I think, well, one, I think I'm very encouraged and convicted of, like, trying to think of people that, um, even that are believers, but I think even more so that are not believers, and I think I typically think, like, oh, in the future, when I'm in this place in life, I will have lots of opportunities. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I'm not so good at, like, well, now there's plenty of opportunities. Um, So that was, I think, just really a good word for me to hear. But I also think something that I've been encouraged, especially with, like, trying to listen better, because I'm very bad at it, um, is hearing how they, people that I've talked to have, had a heart for a different part of God than I have. So if I were just to say, like, my favorite thing about Jesus or, like, whatever, it doesn't really, like, it just bounces off them because that's not something that's, like, lighting them up, you know, um, in a good way. But I think that's been, like, really encouraging for me to be like, oh, wow, God is actually really big and there are lots of parts of him that, like, if I were just to lead with questions, I could hear, like, oh, it's God's mercy that they really love. Yeah. And I'm over here talking about the you know, objective truth part, which yeah. is exciting yeah. for me yeah. or whatever it would be. So that's just been really encouraging for my faith of like, oh, I've actually seen a bigger God. Um, but also, like, I'm also being more effective because I'm meeting them where if they're asking a question, they already have a need, you know, or they have a yeah. curiosity at least. So I've just been really encouraged in the very small ways that I've been doing it. Yeah. And challenged to probably do it more. Yeah. That's so cool to hear. Thanks for sharing that. You know, I think the the church in America and the Bible Belt is so out of touch with the world that we don't even know what questions they're asking. So we're giving answers to questions from 30 years ago. And we're wondering why it's not working. And we've not taken the time to get to know people where we actually know what questions they're asking. And uh, we've got to fix that. We've got to begin to understand the people that God's called us to love so that we're able to answer the questions they're actually asking. But we don't give them an opportunity to ask the question. Because the moment we start talking, we're like, boom, here's the truth. I feel like I have two things. The first one, I feel like God's really been shifting my approach to this from the word relationship to friendship. I think for me, relationship feels like, and I'm just, I feel like God was convicting me of this, there's a superiority of like, let me bestow this great knowledge and wisdom. Yeah. Kind of, in a sense, and, but friendship, I think he's just challenging me of like, there's a humility there. There's a, a sense of like, we are doing life next to one another, and I'm learning you just as yeah. much as you are really been powerful I think for me um, and then the second thing you were talking about the woman in the doctor's office and I feel like I have someone in my life who's very quick to spout off the gospel 
so it's so frustrating. I tuned them out, not realizing it's because he's not listening to me. There's a sense where I'm sharing something, and all of a sudden he's just like, well, "Listen to what Paul says," yeah. and it's like he didn't hear anything. Right. You know? Yeah. It's so I think it just feels very. I feel very dismissed yeah. and unheard. Yeah. I think mean, that's why it can be so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. When we think about what it feels like for us, it's very helpful to know what it feels like for them. Like, when somebody's not listening to me, I certainly don't feel very loved, and I'm probably not going to be honest and open my heart. But when I feel really listened to, I feel care. And I'm like, well, I'm going to take it up all night. Because then that feels like 
have to like be seeking the Lord or else it's just going to be, like you said, for naught. Yeah. And so I think that I feel, I think I feel uh, energized again to be like, okay, like, yes. Oh, and I feel like, oh, well, since that has happened in the past, that's going to happen again. So I can't engage in those types of relationships because I'm just going to try to do it myself and then I'll fail. Yeah. Which is also not it. Yeah. It's like the way to do this is by getting more dependent, not getting more strong, which we often think. I'm going to get strong to do this. It's like, no. Actually, it's going to be better when you're more dependent. One thing about engaging in conversation is, like for myself, I can't try to get comfortable with the uncomfortable, uh -huh. because it's uncomfortable yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And strike up a conversation like, for me personally, I'm not a shy person, and I'm pretty young, but you still have that yeah. hardness of engaging. That's right. You know, because of the fear yeah. of either what somebody's thinking of you or what they're going to think of you, but you have to say something. Yes. Kind of crazy. Yeah. Get comfortable yeah. with the uncomfortable. That's right. Yeah. Thank you, Roger. That that is a good point. You know, it's when you do this, it requires risk. And our faith comes alive in risk. If you're in a place where you're not risking, then you're not exercising faith. And that's just our faith is meant to be risk.